Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. I am back alongside my, I don't know, my yin to my yang. He's my Washington to my football club, Mr. Mark Ellis. Hey, soon, have your fun while you can, Jacqueline, because soon I know. my football team is going to have a real name. Here's, here's where I'm at in my life right now. I am so excited because, and if you're viewing the show right now, you can see me wear some of my new athletic clothing that I got last night. And I love buying new stuff to wear at the gym. Here's the problem. It gets so comfy and it's great loungewear. And I know what's going to happen. I'm going to sweat through all of this and it's just going to be gross in a month. And so, you know, when you get new sweats and it just feels so good right out of the bag, this is what I'm doing right now. I'm in my comfort zone and then I'm going to have to eventually go exercise. <laughs> you know, what's really funny is I actually had to go shopping for workout clothes because let's be honest, the beginning of the pandemic was good. I got down to like freshman high school weight and then then we discovered Postmates and it all went mm. to hell in a handcart. But I'm back on my fitness wagon. One of these days you're gonna see me and Mark running 10Ks. And we're gonna bring our guests along with us because I know he is also a fitness guru on top of being a huge Star Wars fan. Yeah, he's a Miss- gym buff. <laughs> he's a gym buff, exactly yeah. right. Um, yeah, we brought uh, him along today to talk about Solo in honor of the Book of Boba Fett, which is out now on Disney+. Plus. They're doing weekly episodes, so you guys be sure to tune into that one. But we're gonna talk about Solo, this one, came in at 70% fresh with a tomato meter of 60%, 64% on the audience score. And John, not Connor, from Sanford, Florida. I want to call you John Connor, though. He calls this film When Harry Met Chewie, which Aww. I think is very cute. But our guest today, I think, has some love for this because he wrote a book called Why We Love Star Wars. He's also the co-host of Four Center Podcast. He's a comedian who tours alongside the one and only Mr. Mark Ellis. Ken Natsock, sir, are you ready to talk a little solo? I'm so happy to be here. Thank you all. I've had uh, one of those days I dropped water on my computer and all my oh. fancy uh, camera equipment doesn't work. It's just the MacBook like I'm, uh, you know, on AOL chat and I love it, but I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Well, I'm happy that you are here as well. More importantly, though, is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about Solo? One of the lowest rated in the Star Wars universe, though not the lowest. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say a, a big yes. It's it's a relatively fair score, but I'm 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 gonna always angle up with this film. 
Okay. All right, Ken, I, I'm digging with you on that one. Mark, what about you? What are your solo opinions? Because I don't think we ever talked about this one. I, we haven't discussed Solo because it's just one of those Star Wars movies that it's not lost in the ether because every Star Wars movie is such a big event when it gets released. But this one still feels somehow under the radar a few years later because we talk about the classic trilogy or the prequels or the new sequels. And you, then you sort of remember, hey, there's that Rogue One movie that was really well received. And then Solo with all of the talk and all the noise when that movie was released. I got to revisit it last night, and I had such a fun ride with this movie. It never slows down. It never feels like, oh, boy, we're, we we got to drove through this scene. No, it, it really is just a hoot start to finish. And so I'm going to say that 70% is a little too low. I think I think we can get this up to the B, B pluses. I think that if Solo was applying to colleges, it might want to hit a couple safety schools to be safe. I think it could get into a four-year reputable university. Yeah, I don't think this one's getting into Texas, but it can go to the, my undergrad school, the University of North Texas. I do believe that it has that potential. <laughs> <laughs> With those green uniforms? I'll take yeah, it. Yeah, the mean green, man. Mm -hmm. Our claim to fame is that and the dude that played RoboCop. Listen... I think that Solo is right. I really do. I think 70 is right. Although I will say this score is not the score that it started at. It is actually, I think, risen a bit. And Tim can maybe talk about that when we get into two minutes with Tim. But I think the score is about right. I have a weird viewing experience for this movie when I saw it for the first time. And also, I'm going to pre-warm you now that I have, when we get into BTS, I have a little bit of a name drop thing. Um, so I'm just warning you now, I feel guilty about it, but it's a good story. So I can't wait to chat about it. And But before we get there, Mark, why don't you give us, if you please can, sir, what happened in Solo, the origin story of one of Star Wars' most famous characters? Well, whether you're viewing this or listening to it, Jacqueline always has good name drops. And as somebody who's been to a Jacqueline Coley-sponsored event, when she drops a name, it's usually a pretty good one she's picking up off the floor. Now, when we talk about Solo, Jacqueline's exactly right. Han Solo is one of the great characters in all of cinematic history, particularly when you're talking about science fiction, fantasy epics like Star Wars. Han Solo is that sort of character that we really missed having in the prequels, that just fun gunslinger smuggler, maybe up to no good, maybe he's got a heart of gold, but he's always got a gorgeous dog as his companion. We get to see how Han met Chewie. This is the backstory of Han, so we meet him on Corellia, his home planet, and he's just trying to get out. That's a tough place. It, it, it might be like living in Pittsburgh. It's it just it's a tough, tough life living in Corellia on Corellia. And so now we have all these adventures. He gets out. But the love of his life is stranded back in Corellia. Her name is Kira, played by Amelia Clark. Oh, by the way, did I mention Han Solo? Not played by Harrison Ford. It's Alden Ehrenreich playing the younger version. Donald Glover playing the younger Lando. And so we get to see all these different characters. We meet some new droids along the way, like an L3. Get to meet some new humans along the way, like a Beckett or a Voss, who's the big baddie, played by Paul Bettany here. It's a fun adventure. We get to see how Han Solo became the guy that we meet in Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope at the Moss Eisley Cantina. So... It's a fun backstory, and was it entirely necessary to make Jacqueline? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about all these things. 
Yes, we will break all that down. Sorry, I wanted to make sure I got everything right on this one because as we're talking about Solo, which we're going to get into now, I want to make sure that I pull up a great quote from a friend of ours by name Danny Fernandez. But we'll get to what Danny has to say about Han in a minute uh. <laughs> <laughs> because we have to listen to what Mr. Tim Ryan has to say about what the critics were saying way back when, when Solo debuted just a few years ago. <laughs> As Rogue One and The Mandalorian have ably demonstrated, there are a lot of places in the Star Wars universe to explore. So why not give everyone's favorite swashbuckler his own origin story? Well, critics thought Solo, a Star Wars story, had some good action scenes, and the actors gave their own unique spins on iconic characters, but that it didn't do much to expand the Star Wars mythos. Solo is fresh at 70% with 482 reviews, and it has a 64% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a fresh review, Lindsay Barr of the Associated Press wrote, Solo is a straightforward piece of pulpy entertainment with some very agreeable performances from Aaron Reich and Glover, who seems to be having the most fun of all the actors. However, in a rotten review, Anupama Chopra of Film Companion wrote, What's on screen simply isn't magical enough. It might please diehard fans to know how Han got the last name or how he made the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs, but I think even they might be disappointed. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, A flawed yet fun and fast-paced space adventure, Solo, a Star Wars story, should satisfy newcomers to the saga, as well as longtime fans who check their expectations at the theater door. So that's Solo. Let's kick it back to Jacqueline and Mark. Sometimes they even amaze themselves. Back to you, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, Timmy. That was very well done. I, I always love a good Tim Ryan, like, pun little add-on there. It's literally what I look forward to every single week. But without further ado, let's go ahead and break down uh, exactly what happened in Solo in our movie talk section. Ryan, take it away. Okay, Kim, when did you see Solo? Because I have a feeling this was an epic maybe even Ken and Mark viewing experience. So when did you first see it? What was your first reaction? Uh, I, yeah, I was sitting next to Mark Ellis at the uh, world premiere screening. Uh, what a life I used to lead. I don't have that life anymore. Uh, being friends with Mark Ellis, I'm saying. Yeah, uh, I did. I did. I did see that. Which, you know, being around uh, being around press can sometimes, as a Star Wars fan, can sometimes be a downer, I will admit. But Mark's not that. It was uh, That's where I saw it first and it was fun. So first thoughts that night, because if I remember correctly, didn't they put a Millennium Falcon like on Hollywood Boulevard for that premiere? Like, so I'm guessing when you walked out of it, you're probably walking out of it like this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, My first car was nicknamed the Millennium Fairmont. So I've been living that life for a while. Uh, And uh, yeah, that that, that absolutely was there. And it's it's similar to the feeling of Galaxy's Edge. Anytime you see a life-size Millennium Falcon, you're, you're in a good spot. Yeah, I haven't been to Galaxy's Edge, um, which which bothers so many people. But it's it's not that I don't want to go see the Millennium Falcon up close. It's that I don't want to yeah. walk through the the Red Sea of people that I would have to part <laughs> to get there and just have a nice, relaxing blue milk at the cantina. But seeing it, oh, it, anytime you get a chance to see a Star Wars movie, really in a theater early before the movie is released to the public, it is such a privilege that has never been lost on me. I never want to take it for granted. And this movie, though, Jacqueline, I do remember the feeling of just wanting to get in there and hoping it is good and really hoping Alden Ehrenreich 
pulls it off and he's somebody I can watch as Han Solo for two hours because there was just so much talk and hype or lack thereof as far as, oh, do we need this movie at all? Why are we making this movie? It's too early to release it after the, the, the mm. blowback by fans on The Last Jedi. And so there was a lot of noise and it was just so nice to get into the theater and have the lights go down, see the Lucasfilm logo and just be told a Star Wars story from the tellers themselves as opposed to listening to all of the banter here on Earth. Yeah, no, that's very true because the banter on Earth at that time, which we'll get to when we talk about it in BTS, was a lot. So, Ken, obviously you think this is pretty high in your estimation. Where do you put it in your rankings, though? Which I know is a very loaded question for any Star Wars fan, but where do you put it, I would say, of the 10 that we've had, right, between Rogue One and the original? So, no, 11. We've had 11 total. Where where would you put it? I, I, I put it somewhere in that five, six, seven range for me. But the thing I will say about this film is it, it is one of my go-to Star Wars movies to just have on and enjoy. Uh, Star Wars is this wonderful mix of the silly and profound. And this movie is is that on every level for me. But it's also just fun. It, it, it's that Saturday morning serial pulp adventure that George uh, pulled from his own childhood to retell and, and, and tell for a new generation. So this, this strikes all, all those chords for me. Ah. <sighs> The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Uh, what about you, Mark? Where are you placing it? I, I could listen to Ken talk about Star Wars all day. I, I could listen to Ken talk me to sleep. And Ken, that's not an insult to you. That's just, it just calms me. It's like watching Family Guy at night before I go to bed. You're just the kind of person... <laughs> that can just ease me off into dreamland. I actually had a dream about Solo last night. Like I was in the movie because I watched it as I was falling asleep. And Ken's right. It is, it's it's the most cable-friendly Star Wars movie I've seen in a while, where it's like that Jaws or that Independence Day, where if it's on some sort of Ted Turner-owned network, and you just kind of have <laughs> it on in the background while you're cleaning, doing whatever you're doing around your place. And as far as the 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 necessariness of it all, or the the way that it plays out against the other sequels, I would probably have it ranked. It's definitely above every prequel for me. So just so everybody knows, I, I love Star Wars, but I'm not going to defend the movies ad nauseum because I'm not that big of a fan of the prequels. I think there's greatness in there, but I don't think they're great movies. I think Solo is such a great adventure, and it's a story that if you didn't know, if you wanted it walking into the theater, you're so glad you got it, at least for me walking out of it. It's nowhere near the classic trilogy for me. I don't know that any Star Wars movie could be, but I think it's right there on par with The Last Jedi. It might not be quite up to Force Awakens or Rise of Skywalker, but I think it's right there competing with the sequel trilogy. 
Yeah, I'm a little bit different. I don't have like hatred for um, Return of the Jedi, the third of the original trilogy, but I actually would place Rogue One higher than it in my estimation because Rogue One is just fire movie. And like I had the same love for it that I had maybe the first time I saw Empire Strikes Back. But I would put it right, yeah, where Ken has it, maybe at five. In fact, I feel pretty good about that five because I know for a fact it's going to be everything of the prequels and then the very last one is going to be the bottom four for sure. Yeah, it's interesting to hear Ken say that, it's talk about the George Lucas pulp serial adventure aspect of it because George's close friend Ron Howard came on to direct this movie after Lord and Miller were excused. And you, fe- this is the most George Lucasy. Star Wars yeah. adventure I've seen since George Lucas was actually directing these movies. So as much as I love Force Awakens or Rise of Skywalker, this one felt like George Lucas was making American graffiti in space where yes. you, you, you have this sort of cowboy who's just driving around town and is just looking for adventure. That's what we get here. And so it's the closest thing probably to George Lucas's vision of what he wanted to tell with other Star Wars stories because of Ron Howard. Yeah, it's it's what's interesting about it is for much as Force Awakens is that requel thing that we now know about where you literally do the exact same thing over again. Ron Howard did the, hey, I've done 20 years making, you know, Oscar worthy type films, things that he can do. And he did it. It's like. I don't know, amateurs copy masters like amateurs borrow masters steal outright. Ron Howard stole everything that was in the essence of a George Lucas movie, but managed to do it in a different film. And then J.J. Abrams, I think, just borrowed a whole bunch. And so when you compare the two films, you're like, this one is much more artful. It's just more artful in what it did, in my opinion. And so I actually give it a lot more love. And there's moments in this one that feel just ripped out of a George Lucas movie. Um, Ken, for you, what are these moments that when you look back on Solo is one of the reasons why you're just like, I have to cue it up. If it's on TV, I have to stop. What moments are you waiting for? Um, it, it, uh, the moments uh, include uh, Infus Nest uh, de- uh, demasking herself, uh, the new face of the rebellion, uh, includes Han Solo and his pursuit of uh, his version of survival and how it is. That's the theme of this. Star Wars is about hope versus fear. It's about ha- finding hope within the fear. And, and this movie uh, is about how you find that hope is how you choose to survive. And, and even the opening sequence, which uh, informs the characters of Han and Kira, you, you survive in Han's world by, by fighting forward no real plan, take the resources, move on, and you'll get out. And that's the freedom that you get for yourself where Kira feels no matter what you try, you can't get out and I have to thrive in that. So anytime the, the scenes play back on that theme, which is is the core of Star Wars, hope versus fear, uh, that's what I- ignites me. The character of Infus Nest, uh, shut me up because I'll talk for 20 minutes about Infus Nest <laughs> and, the, and the power she she represents, uh, the powerful position she has in Star Wars and, the, and that story. So it's those kind of scenes and, and, and even up to the end where it's not a play. It's not a wink and a nod to Han shot first. It's why Han would shoot first, which was even Larry Kasdan kind of arguing with George over that. And I love that stuff, too. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. It, 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 like you watch this movie and you see why Han is so sweet on somebody like Princess Leia, because his relationship with Kira that we see at the beginning of the movie, I learned a long time ago that you could either be a lover or a fighter. I was learned that lesson by A.C. Slater from Say by the Bell. But... Later on, when you see a character like Han Solo, you see that he loves to fight and he fights 
to love. It's almost like an earned sort of badge of honor for both of those things. And then when he's running around with Beckett, Woody Harrelson's character on this adventure that is the bulk of the movie, you see why he is so reticent to be part of a rebellion that he gets offered a chance later on in this movie and in Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. And, and you do see the good guy version of Han, but my favorite scene in this is something that I don't think ever has received enough credit for the degree of difficulty it was to pull off. My brother and I always had a running joke about how come in the classic trilogy we never see Han speak Wookiees back to Chewie? Like, he can clearly understand what Chewie's saying. How come he never just, you know, it just gives us a little bit of a roar. It happens in this movie. Han can actually speak Wookiees, and it's not the dumbest, most ridiculous thing in the history of Star Wars. The fact that they pulled that miracle off deserves sainthood. In my yeah. opinion. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, I speak a little now. Just listen to you. And the reason why they probably didn't do it in the original, there's something really interesting about. Um, when a character cannot speak to the rest of anyone else except for the one. It's sort of the same thing with that Groot rocket sort of situation. It pair bonds them in a way that, you know, sort of exceeds the level of communication. I, I loved that. I loved um, the, the, the Chewy and Han sort of scene. I think the <laughs> thanks to Mr. John, not Connor, uh, for saying that as far as Harry <laughs> meets Chewy, because that's my favorite scene. Them learning their power, working together, Chewie being like, I'm not listening to you. I'm going the other way. And he's like, trust me, please. And then Chewie's just like, I shouldn't. But I just loved how it was Chewie really being like, okay, I'm not going to beat you to a pulp, even though I could, is what it's the toughest, began. It was the yeah. toughest scene for me. Ken, I don't know how you felt about this. It was the toughest scene for me to watch in this movie just because it's Han and Chewie fighting each other. I'm so glad that the fight feels real and it does feel like they both felt like, oh, we need to take down this other irritant. But it it always felt like there was kid gloves. It, like there yeah. weren't ever punches thrown. It's just kind of like wrestling with your older brother in the mud. And then they become friends and they're like, phew, we're good. We got over that. I don't like seeing Han and Chewie fight. Made me feel queasy. But I love that scene <laughs> and what it represented for the future of Star Wars. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. As Solo is a love story. And it's Han, and, Han and, and Chewie, right? That that Harry, when Harry met Chewie is, is a great way to look at it there. And yeah, and that, that scene, uh, Jacqueline touched upon it there. It is, it's the power of connection, the power of working together. Uh, the enemy, uh, the main enemy in this movie is the Empire. It's the oppression of the Empire on the neck of the galaxy. That's what the story is about. It sets up the, uh, I'm right there with you, Jacqueline, on Rogue One and and, and the straight fire it brings on, 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 on why we need to fight. Star Wars is, it wants you to choose. They want you, wants you to choose side. And this scene represents all that. And also it's just damn fun and a play on them uh, in Return of the Jedi. Uh, you know, I'm all right, pal. I'm all right, pal. That whole scene and to play it yeah. against this, that scene. It's really fun. No, it is. Yeah, I'm all. Yeah, that is, that is a great scene for Return of the Jedi. Don't want to be low on Return of the Jedi. I, I think it's amazing, but I'm sorry. When Princess Leia is like hope, like that is the best ending in the history of everything. <laughs> like that is like literally like one of you the say best, that, best I, enemies. Yeah. I don't tolerate a lot of Return of the Jedi slander and I don't think you're delivering that today, but it is <laughs> no. nice to hear how much you you adore Rogue One and how it leads us right up into a new hope with as far as the the imperial aspect of of solo goes 
The two scenes that really stick out to me are one, the just the amazing way that Ron Howard conducts that shot of the Kessel Run, where yeah. we are. It, it, this thing's it, it. You're doing well if you complete the Kessel Run in 20 parsecs. Now we're trying to cut through a maelstrom to do 12 parsecs, and so the the Millennium Falcon is earning its wings here. But then all of a sudden, lo and behold, we run into a freaking Star Destroyer. And then these TIE fighters are coming out and chasing us and we get that classic notes of the Empire March and we get to hear the TIE fighter wail, which for my money is the most important sound effect in the history of Star Wars, even more than a lightsaber, even more than a blaster. Hearing the TIE fighters screech is the coolest thing in the world to me. So you get that, but then you also get the backstory of Han Solo's name, which is such a point of controversy as to how Han got it. He's checking in at the beginning to become part of the Imperial Army. And so... And, and this is all just a means of escaping off of Corellia, right? And so he can go in the infantry, but he says, I really want to be a pilot. So he's trying to apply to be a pilot. They ask him, what's his name, Han, and who are your people? He doesn't have any people. And so the Imperial officer's like, I got to write something. I write solo. I thought it was a cool moment. What's your name, son? Han. Han what? Who are your people? I don't have people. I'm alone. Um, Solo. Approved. Proceed to transport ID 83 for the Naval Academy at Corita. Good luck, Han Solo. Yeah, dude, let's be honest. Like, Han is not coming up with that, like, uh, granted, he is br brash and cocky as the day is long, but I just don't think he's gonna be like that. But the minute he said it, he was like, I kinda like that, which is actually more fitting of what the character sort of brings to it. I'm thinking you guys saved it for your resident black girl to say it, but obviously everything that Donald Glover did in this movie was fire. Um, he was absolutely, I think, not only perfectly cast as Lando Calrissian, showed a very interesting younger Lando Calrissian that like, oh, I can see how this grows into Billy D. Williams, but I know specifically this is not he's not that character at this point. Like he's very much faking it more than making it, um, which is part of, of Lando's thing, but he just gets better at it as we get into the further sequels. Uh, so I loved everything he did, but the scene that I loved particularly is when uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's uh, droid character dies and he's like really mourning her. That was when I was like, oh, that's like a really tender moment. But also I was when I was like, oh yeah, he absolutely had sex with that droid. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely think he had sex with that droid. Yeah, how's that work, Ken? You're the Star Wars expert. How, how do those parts fit? I don't uh, know, but when works. he, look at that scene again, you're like, I love my dog. I do, but that is not that kind of love. <laughs> that is not that kind of love. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, I know and no. yeah. yeah. Um, what about you, Ken? Any other like particular memorable scenes outside of um, sort of the rebellion folks and, and them. Uh, yeah, I mean, I love what you're both are saying too. I, I do want to comment on that. Like the, the, the Han Solo gets his name scene. Uh, I, you know, it, that's built in the history of Star Wars. There's a, a source book. I think it's a storybook or something in, in, the, in the late 70s after New Hope where Luke Skywalker looks at Han and says, that ain't his name. 
That can't be his name. And so to finally kind of get that, I know it landed clunky for some people, but it's about the cruel indifference of of the Empire. It's a Tuesday for this guy. I don't care who you are. Mm -hmm. Come join so we can send you to get killed. I don't care. What's your name? And they do a, the close, there's this little shot that kind of pan in on Alden. And Alden is literally uh, acting out the next 40 years of Han's life. The tension between Han is, I want to be one thing, but I know I'm one thing. And I'm always fighting that. And I'm always running away from what that is. He, he carries that with him up until the moment he dies, because that's one of the last things his wife says is go get our son. You can't run away from this. This is on you. This is for you. This is for us. Go get our son. And he does that in that moment. He dies and his his, te his cheek touch is an act of compa compassion that saves the galaxy. That starts in this moment for me. It's such a big, powerful scene and I love it. And when Uncle Bob Iger kind of let that slip in an investor meeting, I was like, ah, I don't know if we want to see that. I thought the execution of it and the choice of, uh, of both actors in that scene played really well. So I love that. And, and, and Jacqueline, I, I don't want to just steal both of your guys' answers. I love Donald Glover in that moment with L3 because that's what Lando is. He's the survivor. He, he Billy D. Williams has commented on this because you know a lot of people say Lando sold out sold out his friends and Empire Strikes Back and he was kind of a scoundrel. I didn't I didn't that's not the case. I'm a survivor and the only person who can keep me safe is me and I do what I need to for me and at the end, at the buried at the bottom of that is this great heart. And I thought that moment specifically Donald Glover found the heart of Lando and it was a beautiful scene and I love that moment no matter what happened between them I'm not judging. Long, <laughs> I mean, I'm not judging it. Falcon for a long time. Good for I'm it. not judging it, but I remember Good. very distinctly on that press tour, Donald was like very forthwith. This is obviously something that happens all the time in Star Wars, and they never really let it happen on screen. But Donald was talking about it. he's like Han, uh, sorry, um, Lando is pansexual. He'll get it in where he can fit it in, and he literally said it just like that. And I don't <laughs> think he did that because he was like oh he's probably interested in both Daenerys and Alden like you know what I mean like and I'm so sorry Amelia Clark I do know your name but she's also Daenerys like that's who she is um I remember uh Chris Rock used to Chris Rock released lately kind of a jokey hip-hop single called no sex in the champagne room yeah I do not think that's the case with the cape room there's a cape yeah. room in the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> and I think that if you took a blacklight into the cape room, I think there'd be a lot of things that you're looking at. It would look like a Rorschach test. I, now, again, I don't know if our audience can handle that. Brian, our great engineer, might have to cut that out. But that's just how I feel about <laughs> Lando Calrissian younger. Donald Glover's fantastic. Donald Glover's so good. And L3 is so funny like that's the thing is that star wars really the comedic relief usually doesn't come from the humans it usually comes from the droids whether it's c-3po or r2d2 just making a comment l3 uh falls into that k2so mode very very well where they're their own unique character even though they're a robot it still feels like that is as jacqueline said your dog so whether yeah. that, that's that's you know lando getting very fresh with his dog or even when you see poe dameron how much poe loves bb8 they're like that that's me and molly the wonder dog's relationship playing see, out on screen not I've not with that. lando i'm sorry i know you love molly no, no, that I, was, I don't, molly and i don't take it to lando l3 it is, territory it is very intimate you're more of the poe dameron uh po, sort of yeah BB and, yeah. and bba but also <laughs> let me go ahead and put it to this way and i have to shout her out again friend of both mark and myself danny fernandez who absolutely has to come on the pod eventually since we've mentioned her name so many times but <laughs> she had the greatest quote about Han Solo. She's like, yeah, he's great and all, but let's be real. He's a middle-aged man who lives in his car with his dog. <laughs> it's, she, she did that and on AI. Oh my uh, gosh, ever I, since she said that, I was like, it's, it makes it's, it's it harder to fantasize about him. <laughs> 
if y'all could have seen that joke play in the room, because I was in in the auditorium, it was like a huge arena at Comic-Con and they were taping a sci-fi show. The name of it escapes me, but they have a panelist yeah. of, you know, I- I- geeky friends and comedians and 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 you're kind of debating each other as far as fictional characters. And when that line hit, I mean, the audience, it was like I was it, it was like I was in the main room of the comedy store. It just hit yeah. so hard. So I, I keep telling Producey Lucy, once we have a goofy movie, we'll have Danny on. Yeah. But for this, you know, you, you talk about Han Solo and, and you really do learn a lot of his motivations. So much of this was sort of criticized as fan service at the time. And and I, I don't know that there's ever going to be a happy medium between, look, if you're a character as iconic as Han Solo, you and you're telling the backstory, there's going to be reasons why you became the way you are, why you became the guy that we fell in love with. And we as the audience, that's why we're showing up to this movie. So we want to, I'm a fan. I want to be served much the same way where if I go sit at Chili's, I don't want to get up and go make my food myself. I want to be served. I mean, I get it, but there I, I think with the with the solo, it was less about being served or fan service. This movie, like, and we'll get into in the behind the scenes, it was behind the eight ball. I think a lot of people didn't want to know how he became who he was. It's fair. I think I think they just were like, it's like the Joker. I don't want to know how the Joker became the Joker. Just leave him to be the Joker. Um, but the cool thing is, is by getting his backstory, we get to find all of these other cool characters that came along with the rest of the story. Like you get the Woody Harrelson, you get Tandy Newton, you get all of these, I think, interesting folks within it of the side folks. And I'm going to go ahead and take obviously anybody that shows up in later installments out. So no Lando, no Han. Who who resonated with you guys of the new characters we got to see in this one villain, you know, like or or sort of ally? And Ken, I'll start with you. Uh, you you've, you've listed off uh, a wonderful collection of, of new characters. I, I love uh, Val and Beckett. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more from them. I'd love a prequel with them uh, in, in, intertwined with the character of Infus Nest. I, I really am always going to bang the drum of more Aaron Kellyman as Infus Nest. Uh, I talk about this theme of survival. That is this big giant theme of of how do you survive? How do you find hope within the fear? You fight back. Enough is enough. That's why my one of my favorite scenes in the movie is her big reveal. Isn't this? I'm I'm. The, it's a takeoff of the mask and she's like I'm tired I'm exhausted I want to drink because I'm done fighting alone I need your yeah. help we need your help do you want to join up and it's very powerful and 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 it, it, it's a, also just a great design in terms of Star Wars like hey that's a cool design like I, right in my studio I have Infus Nest and her uh, speeder bike up there because it, it's one of my favorite designs but I, I just absolutely love that character and there's so much more that ties into Rogue One with Saw Gerrera uh, and just how we fight and why we fight the, the hyperfuel is not just some mindless MacGuffin it is hope, as she says. It's it's the, it's, it's a new beginning, and they're fighting for the, their own lives, and 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 the empire is controlling those resources. So I really, there's a lot of people love Infus Nest. I'm certainly not alone on that. I just she represents so much uh, to me in Star Wars, and I want I want more of that character. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and yeah, as I say, I'm actually gonna uh, head over to Producey Lucy, who's been giving me some great, <laughs> I will say, uh, play acting. <laughs> Whenever we talk about this, because I feel like she has, she's like a bit upset with our assessment of Solo. Question, Producer Lucy here. It's called Solo, but Han Solo's not in it. (laughs) What the hell are you guys talking about? Literally, I started watching this movie last night and I had to turn it off after the name part, the him getting Solo as his last name. Not because of that (sighs) moment per se, which I thought was lame, but 
I love Alden Ehrenreich. I love him. He's not Han Solo. And he was he's a good actor, but he was schmacting. And I could tell he was really trying to do Harrison Ford stuff. But I even felt like the writing of the character, it wasn't it wasn't him. Like Han is one of the funniest characters in the Star Wars universe. Mm. I did not laugh at all in the movie. Whereas in the originals, I always laugh when Han says something. And the screening that I went to, nobody else laughed. And I don't think it's Alden's fault. I think, and maybe you guys will get into this in the behind the scenes, but like literally I was like, Han Solo is my favorite character. I don't think he's in this movie. Yeah, I don't there know we that go. Han is like, I, I never looked at Han as as like the funny guy. Like I, really? I, I get that he has lines that can come off comedically, but he's not like, he doesn't have suspenders and he's like, hey, whoa, that was a close one. Like he just, he, he seems like such his own sort of cowboy character that that can come off as comedic at certain points where it's intentional. But like, I, I was, I had the same concern as producing Lucy to walking into this movie. Ken, when, you know, anybody is cast as somebody as iconic as Harrison Ford, especially as Han Solo, you're like, oh, I don't know if you're going to be able to pull this off. I really did buy Alden Ehrenreich as as the younger version, as as I it was almost like you're watching a child who, you know, is going to grow into the skin of this much older guy. Um, yeah, I've said before, uh, uh, Alden Ehrenreich is more more Han Solo than Harrison Ford in Return of the Jedi. Uh, it is it is uh, an amazing performance to, to me. And, and we all have our own takes and opinions. And, and, and Lucy's is honest to her and, and she's not alone in that. Uh, and it was a monumental, monumental, uh, hard task, right? I mean, how can you climb that mountain as Harrison Ford? But uh, uh, yeah, Han's not a funny character to me. He The character comes from the tension inside him. It is the blustery, brash, we're going to figure this out, loud, and then quietly, I, I don't know how we're going to finish fi figure this out. And it's the comedy of character. Uh, I don't think there's been a joke written from Han other than even some stuff in Return of the Jedi maybe might be his worst humor. Uh, and that's why I just love what Alden found in those moments. Even going back to the Cornet City thing where, where he gets his name, it's like, uh, to me, that's the next 40 years of Han are in those eyes. And so I've always taken it. But again, uh, you know, it's subjective, right? So if Han's not there for Lucy, Han's not there. I mean, and I don't want to just, I don't want to like disagree with Lucy because she, like, again, guys, I really do hope if you're watching this visually that they they cut over. I have no like say <laughs> in the edit process, but editor, if you hear my prayer, get Lucy going nuts every time we gave this movie ah. any kind of praise <laughs> as she wanted to rage through the screen. It's good. It's good TV. Let me just tell you. Um, but, you know, I think we'll get into this in the behind the scenes, but I do think there was a lot of questions about Alden. There was a lot of questions about Ron Howard. There was a lot of questions about whether or not we could tell stories in the Star Wars universe that were compelling outside of the trilogy. Because that at that point, the trilogy had started to sort of dip down. Um, because at that point, Force Awakens, the original three, were the only ones that seemed to be universally beloved, also make a lot of money, and everybody liked them. Last Jedi sort of made a lot of money, but it had a very divisive reaction. And this was sort of supposed to right the ship, maybe, but it didn't. I, I, I don't I don't know. I'm going to ask our resident first. I'm going to ask our resident comedian. Then I'm going to ask our guest comedian is this movie funny enough? Because that was the biggest complaint, especially knowing who the original directors were, how much they are known for comedy, uh, Chris, uh, Chris, uh, Lord Miller. Um, do you think it's as funny as it needs to be, Mark? 
Yes, I, I've never gone to Star Wars movies needing to laugh as much as, say, an MCU movie where I really do rely on that humor. I know there's going to be a sense of humor in Star Wars. And, and again, I, I made the point before I look to the droids for that sort of comic relief. I'm not looking for my lead characters to be outright funny and to be cracking jokes. If there's going to be some fun moonlighting tension between Han and Leia or Han and Kira or Han and Chewie or Han and Lando or Han and Beckett or Han and anybody, then that's fine. That, 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 that's all welcome because it makes them feel like real characters. It, it humanizes them even if their species is not human. But I don't need that from Star Wars the same way that I would need it from an outright comedy or something that is based on a comic book. I mean, I, I would prefer the level of humor we got in this version of Solo as opposed to what we were hearing we might get with a Lord and Miller Solo. Mm. Okay, what about you, Ken? Uh, big fan of Lord of Miller's work with Will Forte. Will Forte is one of my favorites. Last Man on Earth, one of my favorite shows. I, I am so glad that we did not get what uh, you hear Ooh. behind the scenes might have been the visions. Uh, uh, Star Wars is funny and fun, but uh, again, the comedy comes from character. That's not how the Force works. Isn't a joke in Force Awakens. It's Han in that situation from his past and and, and where he is now, explaining it to 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 this uh, wonderful character that's just kind of like, yeah, I have a feeling I'm. Gonna gonna run with it. Well, it right that's how it works and Han is the one going no 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 I I have no plans that's not the plan and and to me that's how Han's humor works here so overall was it funny enough yeah L3 had some funny moments uh Chewy with two drinks I mean who doesn't love Chewy double fist and drinks at a, at a gangster party uh yeah. so for, for me it did work uh um I think may, and sometimes that narrative of oh Lord and Miller we're going to be there and, and again they're super <laughs> clearly super talented individuals and a team I'm not ever going to yep. say anything bad about that they, they, they know what to do but I just uh, Star Wars sometimes uh, is uh, it's a different beast a different animal and so I I I'm very happy with what we got and and, and do laugh along the yeah. way. Star Wars is definitely a different beast, definitely a different animal, which I think the beastie animal part is what we're going to get into. We talk <laughs> about behind the scenes because we've actually tiptoed around it. But the drama surrounding this movie's release, production, post-production, on set, everything, uh, it rivals in episodes of Real Housewives of anything like legitimately <laughs> this was drama to the capital d ama oh my lord there was so much going on with this movie and i really want to talk about it because i kind of disagree with you guys i want to see that chris miller phil lord movie so uh <laughs> let's go ahead and talk behind the scenes so this is where I my as promised name drop is going to happen. So <laughs> Lord and Miller, I covered very closely when Into the Spider-Verse was going up for its Oscar. And that movie was such a long shot to beat the sort of Pixar uh machine that has won so many of the animated Oscars. And so I actually got to talk and meet with them a long time, like multiple things. Uh, uh, Chris actually sat at my table at the Oscar nominee luncheon and we chatted at that. And I cannot tell you how as a reporter I am failed at a human being, how many times I really just wanted to ask him, just tell me what happened. Like, just, just like we can, we can just tell me what happened. Like, I really wanted to be his therapist. I'd be like, cause look, you're gonna win an Oscar probably. You won, like they won. They won the whole thing. Like your ex breaks up with you and you come home with an Oscar, guess what? You won. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, like you won. But I so wanted to know it. But the closest I ever got 
was that he did say, and he said it publicly, it was like at a Q&A, that working on this movie definitely taught him to fall in love with movie making again because his last, their last experience really jaded them on the process mm. of making a studio movie. So that's all they ever said. I'm not giving any behind the scenes. They said this in a Q&A that I did, but that was like interesting to me because they really it felt like somebody who literally went through a very abusive relationship that came out on the other side which was interesting ken what did you think about all of that uh it's fascinating stuff i'd love to you know probably with some sort of uh, a bunch of agreements assigned with all parties we'll never really hear the true story but i <laughs> i do love uh, ellis does yeah. we'll spend a lot of time talking about yeah one of my favorite books is late shift by bill carter give me all the give me all the dirt uh but unfortunately sometimes <laughs> the way in, in movie coverage and in, in the world of uh, digital movie uh, coverage outside of official channels like that kind of becomes the narrative and some of it could be false there's so many rumors i, I don't know you know i heard uh, they want to hey you want to do a star wars movie yeah we'd love to do a solo movie well larry kaz and the guy who kind of helped create him or, or, or build him up already has a script do you want to do that yeah sure we'll do that and let's, hey let's improvise to move away from larry's script and uh, tales of producers hiding notes from kathleen kennedy to them and this and that and uh and, and alden calling kathleen to basically quit and uh, it's not working well Emily clark publicly saying i asked for notes on my character and i was told i don't know just be like a you know femme fatale and that's not a character that's not a note as some is i'm paraphrasing what amelia said it's juicy Jacqueline, it's juicy stuff. Yeah. Um, and I always look at Ron Howard as the old football coach that the young uh, the young coaches with the great offensive plan that worked in college, uh, it wasn't working out here in the NFL, so they got fired. You bring in the old guy with the clipboard and the shorts that go up to his uh, elbows, and you say, just just kind of take the, calm down the locker room and get us to the playoffs. And I, <laughs> yeah. I always look at Ron as that guy. So, yeah. Calm and down it's, the it's, locker room and get us to the playoffs. <laughs> Damn, son, if that ain't the sentence right there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you, you, you did. Yeah, go ahead, Ken. No, I'm just saying. In, in the end, I'm just, I'm spilling I'm spitting rumors and spilling. Well, what was we'll we'll never really know unless Jacqueline can get one of them to talk, and I trust that she could if she if she wanted to. Um, I, it, it's almost not fair to the movie. It's like uh, that became bigger than the movie. And I know, yeah. I have I have one of my friends. His cat is named Lando. He didn't see this movie till this year. He was like, ah, and he's wow. like. Lando's his cat. He's like, I, yeah, I don't, I didn't really hear him. I don't know what, what it was about. And I don't know. I finally watched it. Hey, I love it. And, and that happened a lot. And a lot of that, look at you, Uncle Bob Iger. I love you, Bob Iger. I got your book down here. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not supposed to root for CEOs, but I've always liked Bob Iger. He big, made a big mistake on that May release. What, what yeah, folks have to yeah. realize about Solo when it came out is that it was not just one iron in the fire. It wasn't just one monkey in the wrench that was causing all of this dystopian mass hysteria about the movie. You have to look at it from the perspective of when this movie was announced, when it was announced that Lucasfilm was going to be making a solo standalone movie, you're already playing on a house of cards because I still contend to this day, I, I didn't need this movie to exist. It wasn't the most necessary movie in Star Wars canon for me to, to need. Like, I didn't need to know the backstory. I had a great time watching it. I didn't need it. So if we go from that premise that it's something that we might want, but we don't need. And now we have these two directors who I think are comedic revelations. I think Lord Miller are amazing at what they do. And then you hear about how they're improvising too much and it's not jiving with what Lucasfilm wants. And now you're playing off of the prospect of Ryan Johnson 
directing The Last Jedi, where everybody seemed to be on board with that movie before its release. Then it comes out and it's a very divisive film. And so now we're saying, oh, no, did Lucasfilm give too much freedom to Ryan Johnson to do what he wanted because it didn't feel like he took a lot of the batons from J.J. Abrams? I'll contend that he did, but that's a different conversation. A lot of the fans think that Kathleen Kennedy gave Ryan Johnson all the freedom he wanted, and that was a backfire. And so now it appears that a reactionary Lucasfilm is saying, hey, we can't give Lord and Miller all the creative freedom because we just did that with Ryan Johnson and the fans didn't universally applaud it like they did the classic trilogy. So now we need to just play in this sandbox that we at Lucasfilm think is the best. Lord and Miller aren't the guys to do that. We need just the steady old hand director like Ron Howard coming in like backup quarterback Steve DeBerg, where you know they're going to come in and just be reliable to do the job we want. Still yeah. put their own spin on it, but do the job we want. And the fact that this movie was released six months after The Last Jedi, in the wake of all of that stench, not from the movie, but from the fans debating it, I think all of those played a factor. I think this has nothing to do with the Memorial Day release date. I've heard that bantered around that, oh, Star Wars isn't just, uh, hello, Star Wars had six movies come out during the beginning of the summer, and they did pretty well. Those are the classic trilogy and mm -hmm. the prequels. So I have, th I don't think it has anything to do with release date. I think the fact that it was sandwiched so closely next to Last Jedi and the backlash of Last Jedi all became factors in this movie having the perception it did. Yeah, just to recap for everyone who maybe didn't get on the uh, Kathleen Kennedy, Lord and Miller thing, I should have set this up. So Lord and Miller were the original directors of this. Larry Kasdan wrote the script. Kathleen Kennedy hires them to do it. All of the things we talked about, they get unceremoniously fired and then Ron Howard comes in to finish it out. That's like all we know officially. Just wanted to make sure, because if somebody doesn't know, yeah. <laughs> that's the order of the events. <laughs> We're kind of talking inside baseball without setting up the play. But that that's what happened with that one. I don't know, man. I do think they changed their mantra because like, let's look at this. This is all of the craziness that has happened in the past five-ish years with solo movies. So Rogue One, uh, Gareth Edwards was literally replaced halfway through the movie and it was finished by Tony Gilroy. You can tell that based on the fact that the marketing materials that first came out for the movie are essentially marketing a different movie than what we got. Uh, Josh Trank was supposed to direct a Boba Fett movie that got canceled because he was Josh Trank. Colin Trevorrow uh, left Rise of Skywalker and was replaced by J.J. Abrams after he basically saw, he's like, Ryan Johnson is the nicest guy in the world and they hate him. I ain't doing this. Patty Jenkins quit uh, the Rogue Squadron over creative differences. James Mangle uh, had his Boba Fett film that he was taking over for Trank, also canceled. Benioff and Wise walked away from their Star Wars or were pushed after that last season. Ryan Johnson was supposed to get a trilogy. That didn't happen. And then, of course, this, Lord and Miller and Solo. So that's all director drama that happened in or around these movies. Thank you so much, Mr. Mark Hoffmeyer, for detailing that out. But y'all, like... It's like the way it was with the MCU at the beginning. It's kind of hard to be a director in the Star Wars universe, Ken. Uh, it is, and, 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 and it should be hard to me. And it, like I said, I love that we don't know, we will never really know all, these, know all these stories. I really want these stories. Uh, the Trevorrow one, uh, if you look at the proposed uh, alleged leaked script, there's some great stuff in there. More Rose Tico is a good thing, Battle Corson. He also introduces the concept of necessary rage, that a Jedi must touch the darkness to find true balance. That goes against everything George Lucas sets. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes Kathleen Kennedy is protective of George's Star Wars core, and I don't think she'll get the credit of that. She's also the, the fall person for that. And mm -hmm. uh, not everything, clearly 
clearly, clearly, the list you just read, Jacqueline, not everything's gone smooth. Uh, and and uh, that's disappointing to me as a fan. I, Because I, I, I think that sometimes uh, becomes a tidal wave of, um, of, of a narrative outside the actual films. I love to engage with what the stories are. What are these stories telling me? What's there for me as a Star Wars fan? And that's where I get my joy from Star Wars. The other stuff is, is fun. But yeah, it, it, it should be difficult and it is difficult. Um, and the MCU is, is so oiled it's a well-oiled machine, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and directors know how to play with that system or they don't. It's so tough for me because, look, we all love gossip. We all want the juice. We all want the details. We all want the hot takes on Twitter. But there is a reason when they do marriage counseling, they do not invite the children into the marriage counseling session. It's because that is supposed to remain private behind closed doors. Here's a spicy take for everyone. Fans do not have the right to know what is happening in Lucasfilm, whether somebody gets fired or somebody gets hired or who likes what in a script or who is improvising too much off of somebody else's script fans pay to see a movie you pay 10 or 12 bucks for a ticket and the movie is the movie i go back to my life as a comedian you as a fan pay for a ticket and i'm so grateful you did because you get to see jokes that i've crafted that does not give you the right to see me craft the jokes to live the life that has led to those jokes that does not mm. give you a right to ask me a bunch of follow-up questions about how that <laughs> joke came to be if i'm doing a q a do you want to ask it that's fair but i think a lot of times we overstep our ground as fans too and this isn't just to the Star Wars universe which I hold dear it's to any movie where I appreciate everybody reporting and I think it's necessary info to know who's doing what as far as going into a movie but all the strife all of the yelling at each other what did or didn't happen inside these closed door meetings there's a reason why they close the doors folks it's because yeah. we want to see the finished product sausage that's what we paid money to see trust me if you ever actually watch sausage be made you're not putting brats on the grill Okay, yeah. and, yeah. and if you heard how many times Mark and I scream at each other in comedy green rooms, <laughs> I oh mean, my god, it's horrible. I, I appreciate that, and I really love that this this particular thing has finally again. Mark doesn't get his. I'm gonna rant on, but I'd love it when he does. I had a couple it's mini so ones. So good. Listen, I, I I dig it, man. And this fandom will will definitely cause that. Yep. There is. We talked about the trolling. I don't think people who lived in entertainment journalism can really talk about how bad it was at that time with a real understanding. And I think it's gonna take a few more years before we look back on this time, because like anything else, I think the fever is going to break. My sort of final words in the behind the scenes kind of break down like this, which is that Kathleen Kennedy, I agree, does not get the credit for half the things she does right and gets all the blame for things that she may or may not uh, be involved in that go wrong. And that is more of a, symptom of being a woman in a very powerful job in a very male-dominated fandom and periphery. And I think that's just a fact. That being said, one thing she is directly responsible for is who she hires. And listing off that name, I think you all kind of noticed a trend <laughs> for the most part. Um, there's a problem that Patty Jenkins had to make Wonder Woman before she felt she was a good enough director to do anything and then her thing doesn't even happen. And it's a problem that when Nia DaCosta gets the job to direct Captain Marvel 2, she comes out with a quote saying, oh man, we really wanted to get her. What were you waiting on? Yeah, like, right. <laughs> like nobody, nobody is preventing you. Like you are essentially that Eric Andre meme shooting someone and being like, I have no idea who shot this man. Like you did. <laughs> 
Yeah, it felt like Ava DuVernay was, was, was this close as well. Yeah. And then Wrinkle in Time came out and wasn't all that well received critically or commercially. And, and then it's like, oh, well, you had your audition and we just didn't like it. It's like, I, I didn't know that was my pro day to be auditioning yes. for making a Star Wars movie because you have a lot of directors who just, that was their first that was their first project. And so I do think that there is a discrepancy that should be addressed there. And, and again, these are all the kind of things that I think are, are worthy to talk about fr from us fans as well. But at the end of the day, if something's happening closed doors, it's not necessarily our right to know about it. It's our right to yell about it after the fact at Denny's, where I'm so glad I'm not talking about this movie. Um, because <laughs> Denny's was promoting it and there was a tie-in with one of the places that I worked. And so I was at Denny's for like five times talking about this movie. And like, I, I just wanted to not be a Disney show anymore and to start being a Denny's show because I agree with a lot more of the decisions Denny's makes than Disney. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I really want to just picture that sad mark above his Grand Slam. Like that is really like just so over it and Ken, like still ready have, to be. I think Ken still has a Denny's menu that, that is I, Han Solo themed. I did, I got to go to the uh, press event at El Capitan with uh, Denny's, America's Diner and Han Solo. Uh, and I, I eventually, Mark, I finally, in honor of you, got rid of that menu. It's in some dumpster in Burbank. Oh, oh my God. Okay, go dive. Well, go dive. Yeah, first. I mean. <laughs> I'm glad you got rid of it, honestly, because I just I, I shudder to think about that. It's just uh, gonna be Jacqueline, so sad. can I be honest with you? Ken didn't get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, ask my fiance. It's gone. Yeah, I was okay. to say. I was okay. to say. I think the fiance maybe gave that that little thing a nudge. <laughs> all, <laughs> all I will say is we all can look forward to. It looks like Taika Waititi is going to be directing a Star Wars movie, and I'm excited for that one. So maybe we're turning the page. Uh, we got a brown person. We will get a woman, maybe, eventually. All right, we're gonna go ahead and end behind the scenes because we're gonna open up the mailbag this week. It is back. Okay, from a member of the Ketchup Crew, Sammy, dear RT, may I suggest a movie trilogy to review The Mighty Ducks. I was one of those 90s kids who loved The Mighty Ducks and I really loved D2 and only tolerated D3 as uh, in some ways ashamed of it. And I didn't talk about it because the reviews were so bad. As an adult, I discovered that there is a not so small cohort who loved it, including Margot Robbie, Adam F. Goldberg, JJ Watt, and occasional R uh, RT contributor Joyce Eng enough to spawn specifically a dedicated podcast, the Quack Attack podcast, and it's also got a reboot. Although, you know, everything's rebooted these days. I'd love to hear y'all's take on it. Sammy, first of all, let's talk about this. You are in the know, girl. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how did you know about Adam F. Goldberg and Margot Robbie enjoying it? I've never, uh, Mark, I've never uh, seen a Mighty Duck uh, start. To, I, I think I, I might have rented the first one because I just loved Emilio Estevez from Young Guns so much. Um, yes. I, I, I've never seen D2 or D3. I hear D2 is like the Terminator 2 of that franchise, but I, I, I can't recall seeing a Mighty Duck start to finish. So I would be I'd be up for investigating that trilogy for the first time. Yeah. There was a time when you would ask me what were the what were the trilogies that surpassed the original? I'd be like The Godfather Part Two, Empire Strikes Back, and D Two. <laughs> that was like the ones that I would put out there. Um, what about you, Ken? You, you quack quack. 
Uh, no, I mean, like Mark, the two greatest movies of all time are Young Guns and Young Guns 2, yep. so I'm surprised I didn't see any of the Mighty Ducks. I have gone to Mighty Duck Games, or the Ducks now, uh, but no, uh, but this is great, and I love this. I love that when generations just grab onto these films and they mean everything. I, I, I love that stuff. I'm an 80s, 80s kid, so there's Is a there a team named the Ducks, like after the team team? Uh, yeah, the yeah. Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. Yeah, yeah. Now, now I think it is just wow. the Ducks. Yeah. Anaheim. That is you know, ridiculous. Disney's backyard. They, yeah, they were the Mighty Ducks. Yeah. I think they, okay. they, they, they do just, uh, and they still, they quack at games. I think, um, yep. you know, yep. years ago they had Emilio Estevez come out and drop the pucks. So the, uh, the Mighty Ducks, it's, it's still a real thing in the NHL. Yeah, I did not know that. And let's be honest, in Texas and in Alabama, nobody was caring about hockey like, at all, at all. <laughs> I remember like stars, the right? stars got good when I was in college. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, I still don't care. It's cold. There's ice. And at that point, I didn't even think there was any black people playing. So I was like, I don't care. There are now, though, I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. I have yeah. heard this. Yeah. Uh, that's it for the mailbag. Ken, thank you so much for joining us. It is always a pleasure to chat with you. Please let us know where folks can find you and also what you're working on. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. I, I know I go on and on about uh, Star Wars and stuff like that, but it, it just uh, means the world. And, and I love this film. love talking about it with both of you here. Uh, uh, yeah, as far as what I do, uh, co-host uh, the Force Center podcast with Joseph Scrimshaw, available wherever podcasts are podcasted. Uh, and I wrote a book called Why We Love Star Wars. And if you like music, I'm an old radio DJ who's back in the game. Uh, I have a show called uh, Pop Rock and Radio on Mixcloud as well. So thanks for having me. Oh, and since you are also a movie and TV person in the know, something that you've watched recently or caught up on recently that you want to recommend for our folks? Yeah, yeah. Uh, can I answer four hours at the Capitol? Four hours at the Capitol is great, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It, it, uh, yeah, uh, but beyond uh, serious, uh, somber things that make you angry, uh, I, I, I uh, was not a, a, didn't watch Dexter the first run, um, but uh, listened to it while my fiance rewatched it, and we both just completed Dexter New Blood, and I thought that was a wonderful slow burn of a series uh, that uh, did, did some wonderful things uh, in terms of themes of uh, attachment, growth, and, and who you are, and obsessions, and I absolutely love that uh, show, so I recommend that. Another bout of light viewing, The Capital and Serial Killers. Love that. Love <laughs> yes. that for you. Just Love if you want to laugh today. If you just want to <laughs> laugh. looking for a giggle. All right. Again, on behalf of Producer Lucy, Tim Ryan, Brian Perez, and of course, my co-host, Mr. Mark Ellis, that is it for us today. Thank you all for listening. We want to remind you yet again, wherever you are listening, please rate, subscribe, follow, and be like Sammy. Sammy sent us a nice little mailbag recommendation and we might do the ducks. So you can also email us at rtiswrong at Rotten Tomatoes. Up next week, Mark, uh, we are going back to the island, right? Well, Maybe. we're going back to the other island. So there's Island Nebular and then yeah. that's where Jurassic Park was. And then there is another island. Can you believe it? That's where the dinosaurs are now. So we're going to the Lost World. Actually, we might be going back to Island Nebular. I might be getting the Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 where there's nightmares about talking dinosaurs confused. And so we will sort all of this out, but we are talking about the lost world, the direct sequel directed by Steven Spielberg to the 1993 beloved classic Jurassic Park. Does it hold up? We'll talk about it next week. Yes, we will. And we will see you all there next week on Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. Bye.